Good morning, and it was such a joy as we were singing just to hear the voices together worshiping our God. Uh, such a great joy to, to sing about the love of God, to sing about Christ at work in us. What a joy to gather on Sunday mornings with the saints and worship our King Jesus. This morning we are, we are going to be looking at a passage uh, in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the title of this sermon is The Promised King. We're going to look at the promised king. Over the last nine weeks, we've been preaching through Ephesians. We looked at, we looked at chapters 1, 2, and 3. We wrapped up last week. And then in the fall, we're going to pick back up and we're going to look at chapters 4, 5, and 6. But this summer, what we're going to do is we're going to take a... Uh, a little tour through the Psalms. We're going to look at seven or eight Psalms that all talk about the King and, and how we're awaiting this King. So this morning, what I wanted to do is I want to lay the foundation <clears throat> for that sermon series this summer. Next week, as you know, uh, we're going to join together with Scent Church. They're a church up in the northern part of Charlotte. Just some great brothers that we've been getting to know and they're going to come and worship with us next week. So we're going to have a great time worshiping together. And then we're going to get to eat some food afterwards. They're going to, they're going to provide a barbecue luncheon for us. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to eat, weather permitting, hopefully, we're going to eat outside in the courtyard and, and around. If not, we'll, we'll go into the gym and eat. But, yeah, encourage you all to be here next week. Encourage you all to get to know other brothers and sisters that are, that are going and making disciples in our city. So my question for you this morning, as we begin in 2 Samuel 7, is what comes to mind when you think about a king? What comes to mind when you think about a king? Many of us know very little about being ruled by a king, for we've grown up in a democracy where rulers are elected by the people and for the people. We do not live in a monarchy. We live in a democracy, so the concept can be very foreign to us. Yet, this idea of king plays a prominent role in our Bible. Really, from the opening pages of Genesis 1 all the way to the end, we see God's kingdom on display. We see this, this ruler who creates all things by simply speaking them into being. And then he rules this world. And at the end, we see in Revelation that his kingdom is going to fully come, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, we live in a, in a season or in, a, in an age where God's kingdom is coming, but is not fully here yet. One day, when Christ returns, God's kingdom will be full. It will be here. So what we want to do today is we want to go back to 2 Samuel 7 in the times of the, of the kings. And we want to see God's promise to, the, to King David. So our big idea today should be up on the screen. The promises of God lead us to praise God. That's what we're going to see in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to see this promise of God to David, and then David's response in praise to this promise. 
But before we go there, I just want to, I want to do a little, just a little homework for us, right? A little, a little uh, survey to bring us up to speed. In 1 Samuel 8, if we were to turn back just a, a book, 1 Samuel 8, the people of God desire a king. But what they ask for from the prophet Samuel is a king like the nations. We want a king that looks like the kings of the nations. They want to be like the nations. Israel, as you remember, Israel was to be set apart, to be a light to the nations. But here they say, we want a king like the nations. They reject God as king over them. So Samuel warns the people of their disobedience. Yet God does place a king over his people. And y'all know this king. This is the king. It says that he, he stood a head's, uh, a head's height above everyone else. He was a king like the nations had. He was clearly God's man. And he placed Saul over them. It is the king the people wanted. But we will see as we progress through this story, it is not the king the people needed. It's a king like the nations. And shortly, Saul would sin and disobey God, and he would be displaced. He would no longer be king over Israel. He would be rejected by God. And in 1 Samuel 16, we see that David, David is anointed as the future king. Where Saul was the most impressive of all Israel, David is the youngest of all his brothers and the least impressive. His father, Jesse, didn't even bring him to Samuel to be seen. Samuel has to ask, David, is there another son? Where is he? Oh, he's out in the, in the fields tending to the sheep. God has different plans than the people. In 2 Samuel 2, David is installed as the king of Israel. He's installed as the king of Israel, and he brings the ark back to Jerusalem. And as you, you may remember, as he's bringing it back, he's praising the Lord. He's dancing. He's so excited that the ark is coming back that even one of his wives say, What is wrong with you? Why are you doing this? David's like, we got the ark back. It's back in the city. He's so excited. And this is right before, that's chapter 6. And now as we go into chapter 7, which is our passage today, we see that the whole country is at rest. The ark has come back. The country is at rest. The people are feeling good. David is feeling good. Let's pray. And then we're going to start reading in the Word. Our Father, we delight in you. You are so good to us. Your steadfast love towards us. Your faithfulness. God, we praise you for these things. Father, we give you praise for your Word. Lord, you tell us in your Word that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. You tell us that it's a hammer. God, we pray that our hearts of stone would be crushed today by the hammer of your word. We pray that our hearts would be pierced by this double-edged sword. God, give us eyes to see. 
Lord, give us a, a heart to rejoice in being called your sons and daughters. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 1 says, Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. This first section of this chapter is going to reveal to us God's promise to David and to the people of Israel. And it's also gonna, we're going to see later on in this chapter that it's also a promise to all mankind. But first we get to this, this context here and we see David's plan. There's rest in Israel. There's rest in David's house. The enemies are no longer coming. There's rest. And David says, man, look at this house I'm living in. A house of cedar. I need to build God a house. Because God dwells in a tent. Let me build him a house. And even Nathan thinks this is a good idea. It does seem like a great idea. It's a noble desire, right? Let me build God a house. I'm living in a great house. And Nathan, the prophet, he says, go do all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. Nathan speaks before he is spoken to, right? Many of us do that sometimes as well. We forget that first we need to seek discernment and wisdom before we speak. But here David speaks, Nathan speaks, and then God speaks. So listen to what God says in verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see, God here, he speaks to Nathan the prophet. He says, I want you to go tell David, I don't need a house. I've been moving with my people. I'm going to continue to move with my people. And when I desire to act, I will act. I am the main character. David is not. The Lord does not need David to build him a house. He reminds him of his traveling with the people, moving with them, and he has never asked them to build him a house of cedar. You see, the Lord can do what he pleases. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If he wants to build himself a house, he will build a house. David, yes, it's a noble desire, but, but God is going to act when he desires to act. So that's what we see here. We see God really instructing David. And then as we move on in this passage, we're going to see that God has a greater plan. But I have a question for you as we think about David and Nathan and David's interaction with God. Do you have noble plans that you want to accomplish for God? Do you have great desires that you want to accomplish for God? 
I pray that all of us do. I pray that all of us have greater visions to see God move. But my, my caution, and even to myself, let's make sure those align with God's desires, which are so clearly seen in His Word. Right? This is where we find God's desires. This is where we find His plan. Everything we do, we want to do it in accordance with the Word of God. Walking in obedience to the Word. And then God will give us the desires of our heart. God now reminds David of who he is and how he is going to act and has acted. So this, this second part, we see David's plan, and now we see in these next few verses, God's provision. Listen to verses 8 to 11. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will, give you the rest, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. God, I don't want to make you a house. I'm going to make you a house. That's what the Lord says. I will make you a house. So just from here, what do we learn about God in this passage? You know, there's a, these few verses right here teach us so much about who God is. First of all, he's in charge. He has authority. His ways are not our ways. He is present with His people. He is gracious. His love is steadfast. He provides for His people. He is faithful. He says, David, I took you from the pasture. You were a shepherd. You were tending the sheep. I took you from the pasture. That you should be prince over my people. I've established you on the throne. I've taken you from the pasture and I've placed you on the throne from shepherd to king. I've been acting through all your victories. I'm the one who has done it. He says, I will plant Israel in a place. I will take my chosen people. I will take my people and I will plant them in a place. And we understand this. God has given these people a place. I'm going to plant you. Instead of you building me a house, I'm going to make you a house. God has provided. And now he continues on. And now God is going to share with David this plan that he's about to accomplish. He says, now, hey, David, listen up. This is the plan. This is the promises that I'm going to fulfill. So y'all listen. Y'all listen to 11 to 17. Oh my goodness. Let your hearts be stirred. Because we live on this side of the resurrection. We don't live 2,000 years ago. We live on this side of the resurrection. 
So this passage, as I read it, light bulbs should be going off in your mind. should be saying, yes, this is Jesus. This is our King. As I read, listen, let those light bulbs go off. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The Lord shares with David his plan for Israel and the world. Just a few things, observations from this this passage. God, first of all, says, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to give you a dwelling. And then he says, I'm going to make you an, I'm going to give you an offspring. Yeah, if we if we think about the, the scriptures, right? And I man, as we as we read the Bible, we want to see the threads that go from Genesis to Revelation, and we want to see the beautiful mosaic that the Bible is. It's an incredible book with incredible promises. But in the very beginning, as Adam and Eve sin against God and they're cast out of the garden, God says from your offspring, Eve. From your offspring. There's going to come one that will crush the head of the serpent. Yet he will bite your heel. So from Genesis 3.15, we as a, as a people should be looking for this offspring, this seed that is going to come from woman. There's going to come a seed. There's going to come an offspring. And then we can track it out. We see We see Cain and Abel born to Adam and Eve. Cain kills Abel, yet there's another one that's born named Seth. And as we move through the scriptures, we see that God now sets apart Abraham. And Abraham tries to do it differently than what God promises. Hey, I will bring you an offspring. I will make you a son. But but Abraham has different plans. So he he has a son from a different woman. Right? And then he, and then in God's providence, in God's good goodness, he has a son from his wife Sarah. Right? And then as we progress, Isaac, Isaac begets, begets Jacob. Right? And then as we continue to move through the Bible, through the storyline, we see that God is in control. We looked at the book of Ruth. Do y'all remember looking at Ruth back in March? We looked at the book of Ruth. Ruth was really about God's control, God's sovereignty over really the offspring. Where where at the very end of Ruth, it says that from 
Ruth and Boaz came Jesse, and from Jesse came David. You see, as we, as we track through, we see this, this line, David to Solomon, to all these kings, that some were good, some were bad, but all died, and they stayed dead. So we're tracking through, we're seeing this offspring that's going to come. And then there's a silent time, there's a period where nothing happens. And then in Matthew 1.1, we see Jesus come on the scene. And in Matthew 1.1, this is what it says. And, and Matthew's tying it back into the storyline of Scripture. He says that Jesus was born and he was the son of David, the son of Abraham. Folks. Our light bulbs, our brains should be going off. Our hearts should be rejoicing, seeing that our God has stayed the course and he's remained faithful. And his steadfast love has continued from generation to generation. God says, I'm going to provide an offspring for you, David. I'm going to provide a kingdom forever, a forever kingdom, a forever throne. And then he also says, that I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Death does not annul this promise. Sin cannot destroy it. Time will not exhaust it. This is a forever king on a forever throne. David's offspring, yes, we see Solomon coming up next. And he fulfills some of what is written here. He does build God a house. He builds God a house. Yet, in Solomon, we see he sinned and he disobeyed God. He turned away from God. And then through Solomon's offspring, we see many kings come and go. They lived and they died. And the, all the kings prior to Jesus, they're still in the grave. They stayed dead. The only person that has ever fulfilled all of this is Jesus. He is the offspring promised. David's earthly throne was overthrown. His descendants sinned and turned away from God. Jesus was without sin, and his name has been made great. He is the Son of God. He has built an eternal temple, and he is seated on his forever throne. The promised king is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So how does David respond to this word? How do we respond on this side of the cross? We have seen We've seen this. Jesus has fulfilled all of these promises. He is the son of David. He is the offspring that crushed the serpent's head. All of us, as we think about the king, King Jesus, he's forever king on a forever throne. This right here should make sense to us. This right here should should really be applicable to our lives. We should be able to look at this and say, I understand this king on the throne. I get that. Maybe I don't understand it from a government point of view. 
But I do understand that, that God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. And now King Jesus calls us, he calls us to come to him. He says, if you will turn from your sin and trust in me, I will be king of your life. All of us in here at one point had other kings on the throne in our lives. What I mean by that is that we, regardless of what it is, it can be self, it can be me, I'm king, it can be family, it can be wife, kids, it can be substances, whatever that is, we're all looking for something to rule over us. And the reason I can say that and be confident in that is because Romans 1.25 says they exchanged, talking about all of humanity, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, all of us at one point in our lives, if we're not under the kingship of Jesus, or when we were not under the kingship of Jesus, all of us had something else reigning over us. Just take a few, few seconds and let that soak in. What is reigning in your life? Who is on the throne in your life? Is it King Jesus? Jesus is the king who bled and died to pay the price for our sin. He died. Just like all the other kings, he died. Yet, three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead, showing and confirming that he is the victorious king, and now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is a better king than anything else you have on the throne of your life right now. Jesus is a king that remains faithful, that continues to show grace and mercy even when we turn away from him. And then, our response, just as David's response, as we realize who King Jesus is, even today, if if King Jesus is not king of your life, I call you to, to come and celebrate with us the same way David celebrates. And if King Jesus is on, your, on the throne of your life, then this is the right response. We, we cry out in praise. We celebrate the way David did. This is what David, it says, our praise. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? You understand, when you realize who you are in relationship to God, this is the question. Who am I that you would do that for me? That's what David is saying here. O Lord God, who am I that you brought me thus far? Who am I to be a recipient of this grace and this incredible promise? And yet, verse 19, and yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. 
You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind. This is not just for Israel. This is for all mankind. Oh, Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O oh Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O oh Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. There's none like the Lord. Our God is the God who created all things. He is, as Heath prayed earlier, He is the one true God. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be His people, making Himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. Who is the small nation that you would care for them and drive them out of Egypt? And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. God, I know your character. I know who you are. I know who you've proven yourself to be. You are faithful. You are steadfast. You keep your promises. Do as you have spoken. And he has. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is a right response to understanding the promises of God. David prays and worships God here in this passage. We should do the same. The promises of God lead us to praise God. As, as we see Jesus in this passage, as we continue to look at Jesus through the Psalms as this forever king on a forever throne, the promised king, we should praise God. Our lives should, should erupt in praise and worship to this God who has created us and saved us for himself. As you look around at everyone seated here today, those who are in Christ, we should look and see, yes, you are recipients of the promise of God. You are recipients of this promise. King Jesus has saved you. So even, even now, as we, in a few minutes, as we, as we lift our voices to sing, 
as you hear one another sing, look at this flock. Look at this local church and praise the chief shepherd. Praise the king. Because this is the people of God that he has set apart for himself. And we should praise him for one another. One commentator, this is what he says, Like David, all believers are implicitly encouraged to be humbled, pensive, and emboldened by the perception of God's incredible goodness expressed within their lives. Man, that should, that should be our, our lives. We should be humbled by what God has done for us. We should actually give thought to it, think about it, and then be emboldened by it. This promised king, King Jesus, he deserves our allegiance. He deserves to be worshipped. He is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the long-awaited king. And as people who know the king, we should long for more people to know this king. Our lives should reveal that we know King Jesus. And we should open our mouths and call people to him. I want to I encourage you with this last thought, and then I'm going to close in prayer. This summer, as y'all saw last week in our calendar, this summer we have eight interns coming. They're all, most of them are college students with the exception of one. They're coming and they're going to serve here. They're going to serve our community. They're going to serve our church. And what they're going to do, a lot of their time is going to be spent going out in this community and serving people and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. On the calendar, if you look, there's several times each week that they've, they've set aside where they're saying, hey, why don't you come and, and celebrate with us? Why don't you come and go and serve with us? Let's go tell people about King Jesus. And I know, I've talked to many of you in here, many of you are, are not able to get out and do that. But this is, my, this is my challenge to you. If you can't get out in the evenings because of health, because of family, because of whatever, my challenge to you is that you would pray. That you would set aside that time to pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. But if you can get out, I want to encourage you to come out with us. And let's go. Let's, let's go share this good news. Let's go share about this king to a people that don't know him. Let's be a people who serve King Jesus and call people to praise him for he deserves it. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you praise. We do. We plead with you, O oh God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, you have set your king, your son, on the throne. Father, we, we long for people to know him. We long for people to turn from their sin and trust in him. So God, that's our prayer, that we would be, that we would be people who declare and display the goodness of the King. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.